Good evening. Yeah. So how's everybody doing? I don't think I asked that earlier. Has everybody recovered from the excitedness of the holidays and all of the gifts and the vacations and from the what I've heard mostly, the sickness? Um, I'm pretty sure that I've heard of every sickness under the sun affecting most people over this holiday period. It has been through my house. So tonight we're going to talk about... Uh, Actually, I titled this sermon, Our Ultimate Hope, but I want to start with a recap of what we've talked about because we've been gone a while. So let's, uh, let's jump into this. What, we're studying uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. When was this book written? Very, very good. Very good. Anybody else? Close. 50 AD. This will make sense, right? Who is it written to? Nice. Good job. Where was it written from? It's weird where, but I get it. Jail, right? 90% of the time, if you answer the question, jail, you're probably going to be right. So what it, does anybody remember what we talked about in chapter 1? Hey, very good. I'll go through this. So chapter 1, we talked about, uh, Paul was writing and thanking us, or he was thanking them for their faith. Remember, this is a... This is a letter of encouragement, which is where it will lead us here at the end of uh, chapter 4. And it says, chapter 2 was Paul's ministry and what he did there. Chapter 3 was Paul's longing to return to them. And now we're into chapter 4. And do you guys remember what we've talked about the last, I don't know, two weeks, I think it was, prior to vacation? Pastor, not pastor, uh, Chad was talking about um, our walk, our walk in sanctification he used the term walk the walk, walk the walk. Do you guys remember what I talked about before Chad spoke? Anybody? I'm surprised nobody wants to say it. I talked about sexual immorality and Paul's message to the Thessalonians to right yourself, essentially, right? Because that's part of our sanctification. So I'm going to tell you a couple stories tonight. Um, this is going to be a tough passage for me to get through uh, just because of the things that we've had to experience over the past couple of months. But I'm going to try and I'm going to let God's word do the heavy lifting. So I got a couple stories and these will kind of relate. But uh, one of my very good friends, his name's John. Um, his mother, I was his boss and his mother had passed away one night. She was young. I think she was in her 50s, but she had passed away. Um, and John was broken up. He did not handle the loss of his mom very well. But his dad both believers. His dad is an amazing man. And his dad would say, I'm not sad that she's, he said, I'm sad that she's gone, but I'm not sad that she's gone, if that makes sense. He said, I'm blessed for the time that I got to spend with her. And he said, I'm blessed because I'll see her again. So when we hear messages like that and we think about death or we think about losing a loved one for us Paul's writing a message of hope I got another one that's pretty funny but it's it's not awesome either my brother grew up with this fellow named Brett Hester in Louisiana and Brett got sick Brett got sick quick my brother is a uh, believer and Brett was a believer and my brother tells this story and he says, uh, 
He says he goes and he visits Brett in the hospital room. And this is just the kind of guy that Brett was. He said, <laughs> he told my brother, don't be mad because I get to see Jesus first. He's like, there's no, there's no reason to be mad at me because I get to see him first. In light of the situation, it may have been tough to swallow that pill, but we have to remember Paul's message. Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. These are all things. These are Jesus' message of hope to us. The last one I got is... <coughs> we'll move on because that'll be tough. Um, the last one I got is Mr. Solomon Sparks just passed. Uh, if you need a picture of a faithful man, he's the guy sitting on the bench outside of the church. That's him. <clears throat> I'll leave it at that. I got a couple other things here. It says going to funerals for believers can be such a glorious celebration of life uh, that was lived here on earth. That's where it ends, right here, on earth. Crazy. Last thing I got is uh, one of the things that I felt. So, so this is to lead into me going to a bunch of funerals over this. I say a bunch more than I wanted to. Is uh, a, a few funerals over the past vacation and the, the months leading up to it. Uh, this is terrible to say, but one of the best things of being in that room is that there was a sense of gladness in the room for everybody that believed. You know, it was hard for people to to deal with the, the loss because the Bible tells us to grieve. We're supposed to grieve. But we're all supposed to be excited. And that's hard to get past when you're grieving. So as we always do, um, I'm going to have somebody come up here and read. And when I asked her, she was super excited. And then she reminded me that she did not have a Bible this evening. So Corbin is going to come up and read. Let's go. If you guys would please stand in honor of God's word. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Can you read that or is it too small? Start there, finish there. I'm old. <laughs> so we do not want you to be uniform, brothers, about those who are asleep, but that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though Jesus, God will be with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet from God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's good. That's it. Do you want to pray? Do you want me to pray? All right. Guys, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come right at Lord. Say thank you, God, for coming today. Lord, we ask you to be with us this evening in this room as we go over your words, Lord, and we just uh, we share a message of hope, Lord, and I pray that anybody in this room that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray tonight that uh, they, they, they would make those considerations. God, tonight I just pray that your word does the heavy lifting. It's your morning, I pray. Amen. Yeah. All right, so...
Good job, Corbin. Give it up. All right, so we're going to, uh, so uh, Pastor, it's an eventual thing. Mr. Chad, last time he preached, he spoke of the word eschatology. We've used it a couple of times um, in our sermons. And basically, eschatology, if you want to do some confusing study in the Bible, I highly recommend that you start there. Um, but eschatology is basically the study of the end times. I know a famous author that wrote a book about Revelation. If you want, I can introduce you to him. It's pretty amazing. But here, here we go. So we start out in uh, verse 13. It says, but we do not want you. This message is still applicable to us. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Hope. So I, I wrote down two versions of hope. And the first one, the Greek word for hope is elpis. And hope used here does not refer to the wish, to, does not refer to wishful thinking. It is the confident expectation that God will fulfill what he has promised. That's awesome, right? The Lexham Bible Dictionary reads hope as the confidence that by integrating God's redemptive acts in the past, with trusting human responses in the present, the faithful will experience God's goodness both in the present and in the future. And I wrote this down during my study. I read it in a commentary. I actually sent a picture of it to Mr. Chad, and it says, I think, I'd like to quote the, the author, but I don't know who wrote it because there was a multiple author commentary. But it says, I think that it is safe to say that excessive eschatological fanaticism does more to drive people away from Christ than it does to draw people to him. What does that mean? Well, I can tell you, out of all the studying I've done in the last month and a half, and I was kind of making a joke about if you want a confusing study of the Bible to start in, in, in eschatology, because if you listen to one sermon from a pastor... I guarantee you, you listen to three sermons about the end times or this verse passage, you're going to get three most likely very different sermons. So I'm going to do my best to honor God's word tonight. This was written in 50 AD. Now let's think about the timeline here. It's 50 AD after the death of Christ. So the people who have been exposed to the saving grace of Jesus and saw his resurrection or heard about his resurrection, it's not, it's not one century removed. They're starting to see people around them pass away. Now remember, Paul's giving this, and he sent this encouraging letter to the church of Thessalonica. We've walked through the things that they've experienced. They've been persecuted. They've been, they've been uh, beat up. They've been sent out of their own homes. They've been forced to do things they don't want to. They, their daily life exist or their daily life is filled with idol worship they build palaces to things they know that god is against we talked about it last time that i talked right and so this was paul's message of hope so in verse 14 it reads like this it says for since we believe that jesus died and he rose again even so Though through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So here, here comes the 
Not really yet, but it gets pretty deep, right? And it says, asleep, and this is what I wrote, asleep represents death. But his death transforms our death into sleep. Here's the kicker, right? He died once for all of us so that all who look to him would not have to experience death. Without the resurrection, this means nothing. So if we look at Romans 6, 10... I got a new Bible for Christmas. I'm pretty excited about it. So I'm really excited to have it here. So Romans 6.10 reads like this. I got a couple verses to go through. So if you can, keep up. But if not, it's fine. Romans 6.10 reads like this. It says, For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all. Not once and for all. Once for all. It says, But the life he lives, he lives to God. It's pretty awesome. So in, let's move to Hebrews 9.28. We're going to work our way up. We'll be in Hebrews 9.28, and then we're going to work to 1 Peter. But Hebrews 9.28 reads like this. He says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting or eagerly waiting for him. Now we jump to 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18 reads like this. He says, so, Christ, so for Christ, not so, but for Christ also suffered. Once for sins, the righteous of the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. I wrote this down on the bottom of this verse and just going through it. And I wrote, we must never lose the wonder of what Christ has done for us. And so that's Paul's message here about the people that are asleep. He's trying to encourage those people that have passed away, that have, that have fallen asleep. Believers in Christ that are asleep in Christ. Right? And so then he moves on into uh, 15. This is where it gets kind of spicy. Verse 15 reads like this. It says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. I don't think I had enough paper in my printer to write all the notes that I had. So we're going to keep this short. But precede is a verb. It's cool. It means coming or come before something. This was a reminder to the people that he was preaching to, that he sent this letter to. And I got it right here. And it says another reminder to those still living and hearing this message, not to be discouraged. And to those that have gone before us will precede. That's pretty cool. What does it mean? And so if, if you move, we move right into verse 16. This will lead me to some scripture that we'll talk about. And this is right in verse 16. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will, raise, will rise first. Have you seen the uh, meme or whatever it is, the video? where it says a Christian, when any time they hear a loud trumpet sound, 
and like a trumpet, a trumpet sound will play, and the guy will like crouch down, and he like freaks out. He's like, "Oh, is it time?" Like that's what that's what I like to imagine. Uh, and it talks about in the Bible. It says if you like during the second coming, you don't go after anything. You don't try to go get something to take with you. You don't leave your field and run in the house and grab your bags. You don't leave the top of your building and go inside to grab something to eat. When it comes, it happens like that. Boom. Paul talks about the dead or the asleep in Christ will precede those in Christ, currently living. And I got here, I want to read um, 1 Corinthians first. Corinthians 535. I'm going to kind of move around in there, but it's important that we read this. I don't know if that's my mic or if I'm not hooked up right. But 1 Corinthians uh, 1535, it starts out like this. And this is people. So imagine you're there. Paul gives you this message. And then these are the people that respond. And they go, what forever are you talking about? And this is what he says, and he actually addresses it like that way to the church of Corinth. And he says in verse uh, in chapter 15, verse 35, it starts out, it says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? I like his response. It sounds like something I would say. He goes, you foolish person. And he says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Huh. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or from some other grain. He's talking to farmers. He's talking. This is what happens when your flowers bloom from the dirty, dusty, beat up seeds that are left on the ground to be thrown into dirt. Once that is sown, what leaves is what is produced the, the fruit of God, the beautiful flowers, the, the life-giving fruits, the vegetables, the wheats, the things that they were talking about at that time. It says, uh, for, not all, uh, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one of a kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's only one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory for the stars. Uh, For star differs from star in glory. And then he goes into verse 42. This is kind of long-winded, and I apologize. But in verse 42, then he talks about the resurrection of the dead. And he says, so it or so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. What is, he, what is he talking about? Anybody? Even adults. What's he talking about? Nobody? Seriously? Right. So we're talking about their, their bodies. I apologize. So we're talking about their resurrected bodies. He's the, listen, this thing is 45 going on like 90. Like my knees, I think my knees aged out a couple years ago. 
And this is not the body that I'm going to have when the resurrection or the rapture happens and I'm made glorified. It's going to be awesome. It won't click. I can bend all the way down. It'll be amazing. But it said, this is written the first Adam, or here we go. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And it says, if, or I missed this part. This is important. This is for me. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Like, this is amazing stuff, right? It says, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. It is, if, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became the living being. And the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first Adam was Adam. The last Adam was Jesus. It makes sense. Like, this is heavy stuff. It says, but not, but, uh, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Look at the difference between the two of those words, right? It says, as was the man uh, of dust, so also who are, or it says, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust, was. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, that's my knees, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are uh, of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's pretty awesome. Like to be told that, and we know that that's going to happen for us, that's amazing. It starts out, the end of this chapter, or the end of this verse passage is, I'll, I'll read it because it would be cool if it started that way. But verse 18, which we'll get into, it says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so as we speak about death, we speak about the rapture, we speak about the precedence of the bodies that are asleep in Christ before the ones that are living. These are words of encouragement. And if you don't study these words, you don't know what they mean. And then when I go back to my previous statement about the, the eschatological studying can be confusing and it will push people away, this is why. Because when you discuss the rapture, there's a lot of different arguments. This is not my expertise. But I've been able to read in the past couple of months now, a month and a half, about it. Um, I've read some of... Uh, one of my Bible doctrines, and I read this morning out of a theology book, it talks about us meeting Christ. It says, I'll read that verse again, and then we'll talk about it. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet uh, of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Do you guys, you guys anybody in here read Revelation? Pretty awesome, right? So there's a, a, a scripture in Revelation I want to read real quick. And it's Revelation 19.11, right? So Revelation 19.11 reads like this. this. This is pretty cool. This is what we can expect, right? It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. 
And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. What, what are they talking about? What, what, is, what is John talking about here? Jesus what? Let's go. Mr. John said, Jesus coming to earth. And so when we read that, and then we read 17, it says, Then we who are alive... So Jesus has collected those who have preceded us in death or who have preceded us in sleep in Christ. And now verse 17 kicks it and it says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. This was a, a tough verse to read. This was a tough verse to study because, again, there's so many different opinions on it. This is what I wrote out of some of the reading. And I wrote meat. That word meat. Go before to greet an incoming party or a dignitary. And then I was reading uh, something that says, this is what I wrote. It said, the Roman soldiers used to wait outside the city before they returned from victory. So the city and the residents could prepare for the coming of the party, right? So the city and the residents could prepare for their return. Then people would meet the soldiers and enter with them. As we will see when the Lord, when he returns and we meet him in the crowds to return with him. John 14 verses 1 through 3 read like this. And it says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where, uh, that where I am, you may also, or you may be also. So, how, how do you boil that down? That Jesus will meet us on the clouds. And it talks about the clouds being something of majesty as we saw in the transfiguration. Or it could mean clouds or it could be a representation or a metaphor for something. But Jesus will definitely pull those asleep in him first. That's where our encouragement comes from. When you're like, well, the Thessalonians... What happens to us? Well, that's what verse 17 says, right? And it says, And those who are alive or left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Well, that's the place that Jesus has prepared for us. Those are the rooms that we've prepared. These bodies are worldly. These bodies are broken. They're, they're beaten. They're weak. They're sick. Our glorious bodies will have no sickness. They'll be amazing. I listened to a, a guy preach on the way here, um, and he was talking about his glorious body, and he said, when I go to heaven in my glory, this is in pure humor, he says, when I show up to heaven, my body will be glorious, and I'll never wear a shirt. I was like... All right, okay. And he said, I will have the great, and he was, he was a, 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 an African-American preacher, and he goes, I will have the greatest afro you've ever seen. And I'm like, okay. 
I heard a guy, uh, this was in probably five years ago, we were at camp and uh, Jason Cook was preaching and he closed with what he's going to do when he goes and meets Jesus and he ends with this big glorification of all the things that he can do. But we have to remember that we're going with Jesus to praise him. We spend our life worshiping him. Like it's not about us. Like it's, we don't show up for us. We don't show up here for us, right? We show up here for Jesus. We show up here for that relationship. We show up here to grow. And so this is Paul's message. He's encouraging them. He's given them that message of hope, that message of not wishful thinking, that the people that have fallen asleep in Christ will be raised to precede those who are still alive in Christ, which is us. Nobody knows the day. The Father's Son doesn't even know the day. But you have to be ready. So what happens when you get something or you learn something brand new about something? You start a, anybody in here join a club? Like are excited for like the first couple weeks of the club? You're like, this is amazing. And then like after a while, you're like, this is terrible. Why am I doing this? What is going on? This is what Paul's trying to remind them of. And if you look back at the first four chapters of what we've discussed, me and Mr. Chad, this is all buildup. This is how you walk. I'm excited that I got to be with you. This was the stuff that I did when I was with you. This is how you walk in sanctification for the Lord. This is the coming of the Lord. This is wild. This is a reminder. Parents ever tell you, I'm not going to tell you again? I think I heard that. I'm not going to tell you again. Right? Mr. Chad said it last time. I'm not going to tell you again. Like, this is where we're at. And Paul has to keep reminding them. Because we, this is especially applicable today. And I was thinking about this as I was coming here. And I was like, I know I ordered that thing and it should be here already. But I was like, our impatience asks those questions. We give our lives to Christ. Where's all the good stuff? What happens next? What, what can I expect? Well, it's, it's a walk. This is the good stuff. This is the good stuff that Paul is telling the church. This is the good stuff that Paul is telling this church. Like, this is what we should lead with. You hear this in, like, in, I actually heard this, uh, I heard this twice over the break in, in both funerals, and it was very quick, and it was... It was the message of hope for the people that were in the building, and it was a reminder to those people that if that person is a believer, you're going to meet him again someday. Some of you know this story, and I'll tell you real quick. This is a, I'll just tell you the story. I might have told it here, I'm not sure, but my mom passed away uh, a year ago. I'm terrible with dates. Um, and I don't know that she was ever saved. So I was reassured ish during her funeral by my brother-in-law who preached it, who is a Baptist preacher out of Waco, Texas. Um, but my brother-in-law who preached it, he said, one day I asked the congregation, 
with their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If anybody in here has accepted Jesus, please raise your hand. And he said that I looked out and he saw my mama. And like my heart's like, here we go. Like, this is awesome. Reassurance, a message of hope. Like, this is great. So my dad died when I was eight years old. Christmas Day, I just turned eight. I got this sweet 18 van and a whole set of figurines for my birthday, which was in November. It was awesome. My dad died that following Christmas. And I was still young and I didn't really deal with it at the time. And I I wasn't a believer at eight years old. I wasn't. So I give... This is pretty wild how it worked out, but it's not super awesome. But I give my life to Christ when I'm 17 years old in uh, this guy's church, my brother-in-law's church, that he was visiting, this guy named Brother Danny. He was a Chicago cop, just a, a dude, right? So I give my life to Christ there that morning on his couch, and, or that evening after service on his couch. <clears throat> and uh, I pray, I accept Christ, and it's awesome. But when you do that, you start asking questions, or at least I do. I'm like, all right, what am I getting myself into? And so I was, that trip back from that church to their house, uh, I was talking to my brother-in-law, and I I had been thinking about my dad a bunch for whatever reason, and he said, uh, well, my dad was a good dude. And this is leading up to something, and I said, well, my dad was a good dude. And uh, he goes, well, being a good, good dude doesn't get you into heaven. This is my, I mean, I, okay, I wanted to fight him. All right, I'm not going to lie. Because I was new and I knew what, what had happened because I had heard this message before that now all my faith and hope is in Christ and my everlasting life is with him. And it'd be cool to hang out with my dad for the rest of my eternal life that I get, didn't get to spend a bunch of time with when I was younger. But these are the realities that we have to face. So with this awesome message of hope for believers in Christ that are resurrected and like Jesus was and taken to heaven and these awesome bodies and shirtless bodies and whatever. We also have to understand that the other side of this message is that for the people in the house that aren't believers or people that you know that aren't believers, that's not their hope. Nine times out of ten, it's in themselves. And that's another sermon series we can get into. So tonight, I'm not, I'm, trust me. I'm not trying to scare you. This is where my study led me. But tonight, I want you to take from this the message of hope that Paul gave the church at Thessalonica. So we close with verse 18. And I got two verses I want to talk about. But verse 18 says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is critical. This is your job. Right? I mean, you're young. You got a job, right? You'll get paid for it in the end, I promise. So... We must encourage people. There's been loss in the student ministry. We must encourage those people. There will be loss in your family. We must encourage those people. We, we have to do it. I always thought it was mean when somebody would say, I would have this presumption that when somebody would preach at a funeral, I went to one, one before. It was awesome. I don't know if you guys know Pastor Don. Belcher, he used to be here. Well, a really good friend of mine, Don Cleveland, had passed away. And uh, this was how the funeral opened. Pastor Don's dad, Pastor Don's a fire-breathing Baptist preacher. King James only, 
let's get it. It's about to get hot in here, right? I think he turns the heat up too. But like Pastor Don, his dad preached amazing. And I was like, this is, you know, me being the guy that wanted to come here and, and uh, mourn my buddy Don uh, was getting hit in the face with the gospel. Like he came out and he was throwing things. He couldn't throw real hard. You ever seen the little guy? But he was throwing things. He threw this do-rag and he said, you can't serve two masters. It's only God and that's it. You can't do both sides. You can't play on both teams. And I was like, this is crazy. It took me a while to realize what he was saying. It's the truth. And that's the message that Paul is sending to us. He gives us this message of hope. What about the other people? Like... We have to remember that. Encourage others. Fellow believers, encourage others. And so, I'm going to read a, a famous passage. You guys might know it. It's John 3.16. So I'm going, to, I'm going to ask if anybody can say it. Oh, this is, this is ridiculous. So John 3.16 reads like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's all right here. Right? So I'm going to close with this set of verses. It's out of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. 54 and 55. It reads like this. When the perishable put when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortal or on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying uh, that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So if you don't have I, like I said, the, the, it wasn't to scare you. That was Paul's message of encouragement. But I want to encourage you that if you don't have that relationship with Christ, if you have that question, there are people in this room that love you and would love to share that with you. This is the gospel. This is it. This is the gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's it. Like, that's it. If you have questions, ask the adults. If you have Concerns, ask the adults. They love you. We love you. There's prayer cards on your seats. I would encourage you, if you have questions, if you have things to get off your mind, your chest, whatever, you write them down, you put them in this basket because the leaders in this room, who you know and who love you, pray over those cards. Use them. The altar's open. But I want you to leave here tonight encouraged that there is hope in the everlasting life. Christ made the way. We are no longer dead in our sins. We are asleep. We're going to get woken up someday. And that's awesome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come tonight, Lord, say thank you, God, for giving us today. Lord, thank you for just the time that tonight that we had together to, to read your word, the, the message that was shared tonight, Lord. Uh, thank you for just letting me share it, Lord. Thank you for having me up here. Just to glorify you, God, I pray tonight that those ones that are on the fence, those ones that are thinking about it, those ones that are having the inkling of having that relationship with you, Lord, I pray 
tonight that those conversations are started. I pray tonight that we can create that bridge, the same bridge that you created for us, Lord. Those are our prayers. Lord, we love you. It's in your sense when I pray. Amen.